back to the next episode of the In Development Podcast. My name is Ryan, and this is the podcast for all of you city builders, city shapers, and city dwellers out there that care about driving change towards people-centered communities. On the podcast, we talk about how Canadian cities develop in and up. We are presented by IDEA, the Infill Development and Edmonton Association, which is a nonprofit education and advocacy group that brings together like-minded people working to shape our city. On today's episode, very excited to introduce Olivia Fung. She's an architect, a principal with NOR Architecture here in Edmonton. Um, she's always been passionately interested in our everyday social spaces, so how we live, work, and play in our um, urban environments. It's always pushed her to look for meaning in her work. Um, she's lived and traveled in major cities around the world, which we talk about a little bit on the podcast. And in doing so, she found a ton of inspiration to question and challenge our local environments in different cultural contexts. Um, she has more than 10 years of experience as an architect in both uh, commercial and residential architecture. A typical day for her, she says, usually involves meeting clients, negotiating contracts, creating proposals. She told me about a really killer one they're going after that I hope uh, I hope they win soon. Um, guiding design projects, creating building plans, and of course, which I'm going to repeat as soon as this episode starts, Mixing the best Spotify playlist, which I'm fascinated by. So no matter the size or scale of the project, her focus has always been on filling the space with a very special narrative unique to the client and the site. And that's what I find the most fascinating about her. You'll notice it's just me on the start here. So our last episode had uh, Mariah Samji, the former executive director of IDEA, as well as my former co-host on the podcast. So this is my first foray into uh, a solo mission here. So it's a little bit weird, um, but I'm still going to try to keep a lot of the same cadence that we had before for some of our longtime listeners. Um, a couple things we have to define before this episode gets going. There's only two. Um, Olivia is a really big thinker. She has... Um, yeah, I, I don't think I can do it justice and explain it, but she mentions two things uh, that I wanted to find for you. First, uh, there's a company called City Pads in Chicago. Um, they're a development and investment company based in Chicago and Los Angeles, and they um, are a fairly new and creative uh, development company that focuses on uh, the living spaces. And I know everyone says that. So what makes them different? Well, they're looking at uh, some very new types of uh, dwelling typologies. So they do everything from, you know, traditional rentals to co-living. And if you don't know what co-living is, uh, it's think of a dorm room or like a hostel, except a little bit more high end, like a like a rental situation. So um, people that are unrelated to each other live in the same dwelling. They might have a separate bedroom, uh, but they share all the other spaces. So, you know, when I was in university, I had five roommates. Um, this that would be a co-living situation. So they uh, invest and develop projects like that. It's really, really cool. Uh, the second thing that I wanted to find that she mentions is uh, she says barcode architecture in Winnipeg. Um, for those of you that don't know, there's a, an architecture firm in Winnipeg, 5468796 Architecture. It, their logo is a barcode. They have probably the most frustrating website I've ever seen. It's just one linear side-to-side -side bar, which is kind of annoying. Um, but they do spectacular work. I would highly recommend checking out their website, 5468796architecture.ca. Check out all their cool projects and get as annoyed with their um, linear uh horizontal web pages I do. I think that's everything we need to define. I don't want to take up too much more time. So let's get into the episode and talk to Olivia. 
So our guest today is Olivia Fung. She's a principal architect at NOR here in Edmonton. Um, she's been in the architecture industry for about 10 years in both the commercial and residential sides of design. Um, she's been involved in over 30 projects ranging from everything from small scale interior designs, large scale mixed use developments, everything in between. Um, her roles changed. We're, we're going to talk about that a little bit. A typical day for her now includes everything from project visioning, product sourcing, and of course, mixing the best Spotify playlists for herself in the office. Outside the office, she loves playing the piano, rock climbing, and oil painting. Also an avid traveler, she's lived in uh, Hong Kong, London, Berlin, Taipei, among other places. We'll talk about all of that. But first, welcome to the show, Olivia. Hey, Ryan. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. First, I got to ask, um, what's the latest and greatest artist that you're into on your Spotify playlists? Oh, my gosh. Um, well, this isn't the latest and greatest, but I did just buy Kate Bush's vinyl. So her, it's her running up the hill vinyl that uh, I think it was playing when Stranger Things was going on. So I definitely have that vinyl and I've been, pl- I've been playing it nonstop. Okay. And the Spotify playlist that you create, these are for yourself or for the office or, you know, for pretty much anybody that'll ask, like, are you doing this for hire or what? <laughs> no, I definitely do it for, it's, it's definitely a little bit for myself, but uh, no one has hated the music yet. I definitely try to keep the, the really hardcore rap out of there, but, and I varied enough. Sometimes a little bit of classical in there. I feel like that always is a good way to start the morning. <laughs> yeah, for sure. What uh, what playlist do you listen to when you're in the throes of design is what I want to know. Ooh, um, any sort of house when it's any sort of house music, it, house electronic. Uh, I think I love the DJ uh, Nicholas Jar. I don't know if you've heard of him, but he's ch- a Chilean wow. I think he's Chilean, but he lives in New York, so he's American, but he has the most like gorgeous compositions and yeah, musical compositions ever I've heard. So yeah, layers. I agree. I I also I'm a big house fan. So I'm happy that you said that. Um, I can't listen to anything with really extensive lyrics that I need to pay attention to. And house is always just a great one that has really dumb lyrics or a sample from some like you know, commercial or something that just plays in the background. So I agree with you. I, I'm you, you passed the first test. <laughs> let's uh, let's switch gears and talk about your education because it's uh, it's not linear. How did you you started off in chemistry at the U of A? Talk about that. Yeah, um, I definitely started off with a science degree, and it's just one of those things where all my friends were getting into science, all my cousins were in sciences, so I thought it was the natural route to go. <laughs> But um, it wasn't for me. Like I, there's things I enjoyed about it. Like I actually really liked organic chemistry, and I really loved uh, creatively solving the formulas and the equations. But I just really didn't like being in a lab because <laughs> I thought that was everything had to be too clean and sterile. And you know, I, I'm a, I like a little bit of chaos in my life. I love it. So how did that transition into wanting to go into architecture? Yeah, so um, I definitely really enjoyed um, drawing and, of course, doing like more 2D stuff with my hand. I really like creating images that kind of come from my head and that's just putting on a paper. And sometimes like, you know, I actually really love I did photography for a while, too. Like I love just just like uh, amateur photography, but I loved um, just photographing photographing things, you know, 
where like just my space, my environment and everything like that. And um, I also really had a huge appetite for traveling and I loved um, experiencing cities. And like after living in Hong Kong there for a few months, um, it was just so incredible meeting new people, kind of uh, understanding their way of life and the culture and just getting really lost in, um, yeah, their way of life, their culture, and then the stories that shape them. And I, and I definitely found that it's the built spaces that definitely transformed the cities and made, you know, it create an impact. It created experience for, um, for these people and for how I felt in the cities. You know, I don't, I don't remember linearly how, like, exactly from when to when I was in a city, but I will always remember how it made me feel. And I think, um, and I think architecture played a really big part in that. So, and I, and I just got, I got to see if this is something that I'd be interested in. And um, I took a couple of like design courses at the, at the U of A. Um, they weren't, they weren't super advanced, but just to get that mindset going. But a lot of what got me in through uh, to the PM, to the pre-master's program at the University of Manitoba was my my paintings and my drawings. So it was about, they really did assess how you, how you see things more so than, you know, if you were a designer, because in school, they teach you to be a designer, but they want to make sure your the thinking was there. Yeah. So once I got into um, the pre-master's program at the U of M, and that's where I started my architecture journey. I did two years, uh, two years in the pre-master's program, and then two years in the master's after after that. Yeah, I want to I want to uh, definitely tug on that thread a little bit, but I got to ask you one more thing about you know living in cities like London and Hong Kong, Berlin, Taipei, four very uh, distinct architectural cities. So I'm wondering, like, um, you know, the how were they different and how did they kind of individually impact your desire to go into, into architecture? Was it just because they were all different and, you know, the space felt very good and it was all about, you know, the architecture at the time or kind of how, how did these kind of mega cities that are all very different architecturally kind of play into you wanting to go to architecture? Yeah. Um, I think it was, yeah, I don't know, like Hong Kong, I think the density was incredible and how people like lived in how people lived on top of each other, literally, <laughs> but I, it was very dense. And I think the, the food culture there was so amazing. And, you know, it's a totally different level of how, you know, how restaurants are like, or how, you know, hotels are like, and, and, and also in places like um, London as well, which is a very more, it's a very rich city. It's very refined. And granted, I know like there is, you know, of course, a huge amount of housing there that a lot of people can't afford right now, of course. But at the same time, it was like London when I went, and this is like it, young during my earlier days. It's very, it's a very refined city. It's very beautiful. There's a history. There's a royal history that's sort of very embedded into a lot of their spaces, their architecture, their mannerisms. So I think um, it's it's very interesting because like. Uh, space is not very much of a tangible thing. Like it's, it's um, what shapes it. It's always, it's the walls. It's how you, it's the walls. It's the light that actually shapes how that space makes you feel. And that gets very much influenced by culture, by manners, by, you know, certain societal expectations, you know, like 
uh, Berlin was fascinating in the sense that there was a huge war history and there was this, this sort of breaking down of like a really strict regimen. And the, the in the, I believe, yeah, the 80s when the wall came down, you know, and there was this sort of desire to live to be liberated from the restrictions of the regime. And I think a lot of the spaces, especially the clubs, really, really uh, defined that. And they really made a statement on that. And I thought, yeah, and that was a thing. Like it wasn't one, it wasn't one aspect, but it's a, it's a lot of these intangible uh, points that I experienced in each city that really made, that really actually makes what architecture is, is like, it's a space and, you know, your, your wall, your material is what shapes it to make you, you feel a certain way. I, uh, let's go back to the to U- University of Manitoba for grad school. You went through the, the pre-masters qualifying the PMQ program. Um, do you remember seeing me around campus? Our time overlapped there. I don't. <laughs> I know you don't because I don't remember you yeah. either, but our time did overlap. I was in the planning program. You were in, in architecture. The one thing I do remember about um, people that I knew in the architectural program was how intense it was. Was it as intense on the inside as it seemed from the outside? We never saw you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. We we never emerged. <laughs> it was like you go in, uh, yeah, you go in September and you kind of don't come out until maybe December for some holidays and then right. you get right back in. You just go to studio again. <laughs> yeah, um, it was it was intense. Actually, it was really, really intense. The department head that actually led the architecture program when I went, I actually really... Um, yeah, I really did admire the way he taught, actually, which was about, you know, experimentation and exploration. Um, so, you know, you find your form in that way. You don't, it's not a predetermined thing. You don't develop form right away. It's it's evolved through um, experimentation, exploration. And sometimes, you know, it comes, uh, it comes with you have to come up with a device usually he, he's very into um, these drawing devices which uh, I think at one point I did I did build one through uh, like clothing hangers <laughs> so um, and then I, I created drawings from them but it, it, it but but it was very fascinating but also equally frustrating in the sense that it was very broad um, that that that's why you had to dedicate that time to really focus in on what it is you're trying to pursue. So that that was, I would say that was probably why it was so intense because um, you kind of have to, there's a lot of, there's a really broad subject you're looking at, but, you know, really honing and down to focusing it into something uh, simple is where architecture becomes very beautiful, but it also is where it's very challenging and you have to, and that's the hump that you have to get through. I actually even, that even applies to design too, you know, in general. Yeah, no, I think you explained it that way because from the outside as just a planning student at the time, I remember seeing some of the, uh, the, the year end presentations for the architecture students and thinking, what are they even doing there? Like, I don't see any built, in these renderings, I didn't see your your coat hanger factory or whatever you had uh, going on for your design tool, but 
I remember seeing all sorts of these contraptions that were like the focus of the, the kind of the thesis, but no buildings. So I'm happy you explained it that way. But um, was it was, was it more challenging coming from like a, a science background to get into the architectural kind of way of thinking? Or was, I mean, how, how was that for you, the transition? The experimentation and the uh, analytical thinking is very similar. Um, it's just a different medium. Like, uh, you know, you're not using formulas or you're not using um, a chemical compound to figure to, to, to um, you know, to put a product out. You're using you're using more so, you know, uh, paints or you're using, uh, you know, concrete or you're using plaster, whatever it is, you're using wood. So it's a different medium that you're analyzing and synthesizing. Having said that, I definitely struggled with um, the visualization process of, of analyzing and rationalizing that, um, rationalizing the thoughts, because painting, for example, like I knew paint, but paint is a very, ex- it's very expressive. You could do, you, you, you feel like using a blue color, that's fine. But, um, but architecture, in drawing architecture and trying to create these visuals, you had to be a little bit more deliberate. And that part was, that part I thought was hard to definitely uh, adjust my, my mind, my mind around. So I, I'd say that was a challenge from chemistry to, to chemistry to, to architecture. Yeah. The, uh, the, the analysis, you know, and the logic, some parts like it makes sense. Oh yes, of course, that's how wood goes. That's how concrete goes. But, you know, visualizing the space, which is a very abstract notion that is that was the struggle always <laughs> I believe that I believe that L- last question about school and then we'll transition uh, what was your thesis on and I want you to tell me what the actual title of your thesis was before you explain it oh gosh okay it was it was so long ago it it was titled lessons learned in reconciling the land and architecture that's what it's called okay and that means I looked at the treatment of the site as like a scar that needed to like, that was the analogy. Like it was a scar in the sense that when you cut through it, you're, you're damaging it, like you're invading it. So, so it's, so building on top of it, you need to mend it. You need to, there needs to be care in how you attach like sutures to it, for example, like how a doctor would when he's trying to tie together like your skin, for example. So I looked at it that way. And um, the site that I did use in Winnipeg was actually um, a garbage site. So I actually created a a vertical garden. um, And it was a vertical garden that like, would use the the gas, the gas that was actually coming off from the landfill, I guess, in the analogy, that's sort of the like the wound, but how that turns into a healing process through the garden. So it would actually funnel get synthesized into a way where it provided nutrients and it allowed for plants to grow in the garden. It was yeah, that was that was my thesis project. <laughs> I love it. I love that analogy too. That's that was pretty on brand for the architectural program at U of M if I uh, if I remember correctly. So um let's transition into professionally you've worked at a few big time firms here locally kennedy dialogue now you're at nor um you've worked abroad what what was the transition like to go now into nor and what why what made you make that decision so the from dialogue to nor was a great opportunity that came um through nor 
which was uh, definitely taking on more of a leadership role. My, my work experience has always been in design and not, not that I hate designing. It's just, I think at this point I needed to grow in a sense of figuring out sort of the business side and as well as the, the more bigger factors that actually surround like architecture as a whole versus sometimes I think when you're working as an architect and, you know, uh, you, you, you get a project, there's a lot of unknown conversations that you're left out of. That's where I think sometimes you can only go so far without having direct conversations with the user or the person that is actually leading the project. And having those conversations really changes the value and figuring out what the project could be. Because sometimes you end up designing like a form, but you're not looking into value. You're not looking into the story. So I think the opportunity came because it actually allowed me to be a part of those conversations and and also figure out the narrative, like where we could change the narrative, where we could, you know, make, uh, where we could move the needle a little bit with um, some of these projects that the uh, that the client's coming forward with. And it's not, it doesn't have to be drastic. It's a, it's a one person, it's a, even if it's like a 1% change in the pro- design process, it's actually quite, it's actually quite incredible. Um, and if you practice that over and over again for 365 days, it's, it's going to be a big change at the end of the day. So I actually find that I'm writing and reading a lot more versus than drawing. <laughs> And this part is a very different uh, game as well, too. You know, it's a different, it's a different type of medium to express, you know, design in, which is through writing. Uh, I got to learn a lot about the business development side of things that it, that is a very, that's a wealth of knowledge in itself. So it's not, it's beyond just material. It's beyond space. It's beyond, um, you know, square footage of how to demise your uh, how to demise space. It's, it's about land development. It's about talking with city planners. It's talking about, it's about talking, you know, what are some politics that are involved in it as well, right? So there's a whole world where that's what I'm getting opened up to more in this new role. Yeah, that's fascinating and and challenging. Like, you know, you come up as a designer, I think of myself as a planner, you you come up with all these skills and tools that you learn in school or you develop, and then you can like use them as a crutch, like I'm a really good drawer, or I'm a really good policy writer or whatever. And then you get transitioned into this it's like, well, I kind of miss like, do you, do you miss the, the, the days of just spending all day drawing while you're listening to, uh, to your Spotify playlists or? <laughs> yeah, I miss it. I do, of course. But I also really enjoy, um, but I've also been enjoying this because I've been, I've been enjoying meeting a lot of the people that are very, um, people with different perspectives, you know, I mean, don't get me wrong, I think all, I think there's so many smart architects out there, of course, that I love talking to. But it's so also refreshing to talk about people that are in the social housing, uh, like in social housing organizations, people are that are in community leagues, people that are in um, people who is landlord, like, you know, they have they have struggles that they are going through, too. And you don't see that when you're just working on your um, like their your tower, your residential for them, um, you know, in talking to them, you actually speak more a little bit about kind of their pain points, you know, and that's good to know too, as a designer, because at the end of the day, I think our job is to be a creative problem solver and to visualize for the, uh, for your clients, what, what that problem is. 
and talking is, is the best way. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's really easy, like you said, to kind of get tunnel vision on the one thing that you see and only see it from kind of one perspective, but then bringing in all those other perspectives helps. I, I definitely agree. Um, how, how did you get involved with idea then? Oh, I always, I actually was always interested in idea. I, I actually attended a committee meeting pre-COVID. Like the, this is when I was actually still working at, um, I was working at Dialogue still. And um, I was really, really, in, I always was really interested in the idea of infill and um, developing within urban cores. Cause I actually, I love cities. I love walking in cities. I love experiencing cities. So I think um, a group dedicated to developing the urban core, I think is very interesting. So I think I just became more attentive to what you guys were doing. And I didn't have time then, but this was great when I was able to carve out time now to actually be like, yes, I actually want to be a member and I want to join <laughs> and I'll be in the conversation. Yeah. No kidding. And, and now you're leading speaking events. Do you, do you want to plug your uh, upcoming speaking event in March here? Or? I am speaking with um, Katie from Urbis Homes and we'll be um, speaking at uh, Women in Infill. So it'll be a great discussion on our industry experiences, where we've come, probably a little bit of repeat of this story about my non-linear journey. But at the same time, um, yeah, it'll, it'll be a great, it'll be a great way to meet women in infill, women in the industry. Yeah, I'm very much looking forward to it as well. By the time that this podcast episode releases, it'll be the day of your speaking event. So hopefully people can listen to this and then go right to that event if they haven't signed up for it as well. But yeah, very much looking forward to that. Um, let's let's change gears here and talk about um, Edmonton. Uh, you and I talk uh, a lot. You, you went to the University of Manitoba because of uh, you, you mentioned Natchard and, and the architecture school there, but there's no local architectural school here in Edmonton. Is that a problem? Why or why not? It definitely helps. I think Edmonton does miss out a little bit not having an architecture school. I th in Calgary, for example, there's a lot of there's a lot of international and outside competition involved in the in the city because there was a school. Although I didn't go to school in Calgary, I, I, I do think it, it would share similar international tension and design as Winnipeg did, because even Winnipeg is super cold. No, I know there's a lot of Canadians that would be like, why would you live there? The, uh, I remember going to school in the, and the architecture school being really um, like a core to all the design talks, all the symposiums. All the events that were going on, um, there were lots of, there were always competitions too, like local architecture competitions for architects there to showcase and just to play. And I think that's a little bit what uh, I think Edmonton does um, miss out on. But, but one thing why I love Edmonton is because things done in Edmonton are for Edmontonians. And, you know, when you think about stuff like High Level Bridge, Valley, Old Strathcona, like summer festivals, for example, like I love summer in Edmonton because the festivals are just amazing. They all catered and these things are all catered towards people here. And it's very original. It's very unique. Um, and I think sometimes we could push it a little bit more. I, I, look, I really want Edmonton to push it some of them a bit more. But I, I think that's where this city's uniqueness comes 
maybe going back to your question in regards to the um, the school, I think the design school does help in in maybe in grounding a little bit more of a design community because um, we do have to find it. Uh, I at least I find I have to find it quite a bit. There are architecture firms that are out there, you know, reaching out to other architecture firms, having socials, and this is and this would just be between architects, so it wouldn't be you wouldn't be doing a business development component here, but it's just sharing communities. I think Made, for example, does a really great events, a great set of events that showcase our local architectural design. Um, but yeah, it's like having a school there really does help. You know, you have the space for it. You got students, you got, you got, you got professors that are there. So it, it does really help. You, you can take that a bunch of different ways for sure. I'm sure we'll leave that up to the listener, but um, you obviously came back. You didn't stick around in minus 50 for eight months, weather in Manitoba um, or, or go somewhere else. You, I mean, you, you worked in Germany for a bit, but you didn't stay there. Uh, you didn't go work for, you know, Bjarke Engels or whatever in Denmark. You're just, you came back to Edmonton. Is it because of that uniqueness or why? Yeah. And I think the sense of community here is really strong. Like, um, and there's really friendly people in the city that like always want to help and they always want to work together. Like the, our business, uh, like the small businesses that work in Edmonton, they're always, so, they're just so connected. They, um, they're always talking with each other and they you can see like how some of them like, have expanded into several different, really interesting cafes. And um, I think it's just that idea of that big city, small town feel. I think that is, very um, Edmonton. There is a critical mass here to like experiment with ideas and play with ideas. If you, you know, we want to put something different and unique. I think Edmontonians are always are very receptive to it. And you'll also find a community of people that will also really help support you and help you grow on it too. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Edmonton is a, you know, big, small town built on small enterprise. But I always think back to that saying or whatever that uh, a rising tide lifts all boats. Um, like you mentioned, it seems like everybody is trying to work together to make either Edmonton better or to kind of raise raise the uh, the minimum level up. I, I love that about Edmonton. So I agree. I, I find that uh, and maybe this is just a theory that I have, but um, Edmontonians, we, we love to travel. Maybe we, we get out of here for the winter. We see something we really like somewhere else. And then we come and we're like, oh, wouldn't it be great if we like did that thing here? Do you get a lot of that in your in your practice? Like, a, hey, I went to Utah and saw this like really crazy uh, building. Like, can you design it exactly the same and plunk it down here in Edmonton? <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes. I mean, like, you can definitely tell that some of, there's some of that residue because if you uh, go, I forgot that complex, but there is one on 109th Street, which is a really colorful building. But it, but it's um, like it's a colorful stucco building, and it, it's a downtown somewhere. But anyways, it really looks like a Venetian slash Spanish villa <laughs> that that didn't that kind of. But it doesn't really fit with the context because you know it's so cold here. But I wouldn't, well, I wouldn't doubt it if the client went to a Spanish or beautiful Venetian villa and said, "Yeah, I want to put." those cornices, those columns into this development. <laughs> Copy and paste. Well, I, I think cool. I think of a place like Manchester Square on 107th Ave that I think is spectacular, but it doesn't really scream at, like that is very clearly an idea from a different uh, architectural city for sure. So I, I think there's a bit of that 
on for sure. Um, but we, I mean, we, we are very good at kind of, uh, comparing ourselves to other cities and we have kind of the same goals architecture. I, I wanted, I'm trying to lead towards the missing middle here. It's like the, the, one of the hottest topics, um, and has been for the last couple of years, but, um, are you involved in some missing middle projects and do you get, do you see examples from other cities that uh, we should implement here maybe? Cause we don't seem to be doing a very good job. Yeah. Um, I definitely think there is a need for it here. Um, and, uh, we, um, I think we are doing one out in Chicago right now and, um, it's a very interesting project. Um, but yeah, the term missing middle, and I got this from, um, you should definitely read this book. It's with, it's from Daniel Parlek and his book is called missing middle, but you know, he describes it as the house. There's two components. And that concept comes from a demand and more housing choices, uh, specifically in these middle scale buildings. And they are similar to condos, but they are larger than single family homes. So they kind of they're kind of in that middle spectrum between um, between, you know, your your four to six story condos and then your single family homes. And then the one he the other thing he definitely talked about too. the second component was how that concept is, of course, related to ideas about affordability or attainability, you know, and, um, and it's so interesting, though, because as kind of the world shapes and, you know, um, climate change and, and, you know, demands for uh, demands for more housing types, and also affordability. And actually, you know, there's probably a lot of of older generation that are looking to downsize, maybe that affordability attainability conversation isn't, it's not just for that average medium income class anymore. It actually could be for, um, you know, a person that did own maybe a 3000 4000 square foot home, but wanted to downsize because they wanted to get closer to the core. And you ask, why is that? Because Missing middle is so interesting because there is there's a walkable. What makes it missing middle because there's a walkable component to it. Like it's pedestrian fe- friendly. They're usually sited on you know these urban cores or these um, you know really rich uh, older neighborhoods. And there's a walkability component. There's a sense of community component to it, and that actually makes living in that neighborhood really enriching. And um, I think uh, there was one neighborhood um, I remember I was reading about in the book, and it actually talked about Riverdale in Toronto. And this one is, it's very coveted right now, because it actually is, a it's very much a missing middle district that doesn't exist anymore, or very hard, because a lot of the Uh, kind of how legislation evolved over the years, you know, it it was really big towers up against single family home parcels. So, you know, that that idea of having um, housing co-ops, semi-detached houses, apartments, all kind of side by side in a mixture of commercial spaces, those kind of don't really exist anymore. Um, But anyways, it was really interesting because that one had a lot of, you know, missing middle elements that were really important. It had groceries that were very accessible both by car and by walking. You had different types of grocery stores. So, you know, you have a butcher there, you get your produce here, house essentials here. And um, yeah, it was just felt it just more it felt more people centric. So unfortunately, stuff like that, now it's a coveted neighborhood, 
those and it's scarce, the prices go up. So you can't afford to live in that. So it's sometimes and that and that's why there is such a demand because those neighborhoods are very rare. Like you see it, it's very rare in in a lot of bigger um, North American cities. So the one we're doing in Chicago. Um, so this one we did with city pads. And uh, this one was kind of interesting. It's located in, um, it, it was an old warehouse district. Uh, and it's just actually uh, across from Goose Island. So Goose Island uh, is a um, industrial park. It's uh, just across from it, there's a canal that sort of runs through. And that one is, um, yeah, and then that one, and then just kind of a little bit further east is where our project is and just north of our project there's a 25 million dollar apartment project that is also located in the same place but um yeah the developer actually wanted to do this because um he wanted to create more affordable spaces for people living around that area um it's uh it's 136 units they are smaller apartments on average 500 square feet um but you know we made we definitely were very cognizant about designing the suites inside. Like we definitely had flexible partitions in there to, so that it feels so you could open up the space uh, when you need, you can open the space. So it feels like a studio if you'd like, or you could close off the space if you know, you want to be a one bedroom. The mandate for this from the city was that, you know, you'd set aside about 27% of those units to service people that were making 60% of the median income in that area. So that was how it was to make it affordable. And that was part of the DP package. Um, so stuff like that, I think, uh, you know, we've been really interested in trying to get more of that uh, in our portfolio. Um, I think NOR has done a lot of residential projects for sure. Uh, definitely a lot in um, the suburbs and as, as well as it, um, in Edmonton as well in within like really interesting neighborhoods it's still there still needs to be more of that option that has to go through throughout the city i think there's still quite a neighborhood that where all you see is you either get a condo or you can get a single family home and that's all your choices that, that's all you get. yeah yeah it's still very much a monoculture in a lot of neighborhoods here that's exactly it so how, how do we get more missing middle projects is it about you know developers taking risks or uh partnering with the city or because you mentioned that the city of chicago actually like mandated some like a, a large percent to be affordable like how, how do we actually get more missing middle projects going in your opinion um i think i definitely think um you know partnerships is definitely important but i i think also looking at the uh, financial feasibility of a missing middle very differently, you know, um, maybe it's not a question about density, but perhaps maybe it's like perceived density. So it looks like it, it look, it could look busy and that is shaped more by your form, your um, character and, you know, how it fits within the neighborhood within. So I definitely think it's like reframing that, um, that financial model, that comes like from probably on a client side, also at a legislative legislative level with the city bylaw, you know, integrating more of these interests, like various different um, housing types into the zoning, you know? Yeah, so it's just not very restricted to just either th this or that, which actually 
you know, I think, I know you were going to mention this too, but I think the zoning bylaw renewal actually does, that draft actually has uh, quite a few more flexibility with that, which I'm quite optimistic about, you know, so you can actually look at ways to do, you know, um, house like a co-op housing or seniors age in place with a, with, you know, a, a fourplex or something like that, you know? So all these different type of product products, like housing options that could come, that could form, you know? Yeah, no, I a hundred percent agree with you. I think um, like the, on the financial side, that needs to be considered definitely. And like you said, your project in Chicago is right next to Bruce Island, which I'm imagining is some sort of an attraction. Like these projects tend to congregate around uh, areas that are either already popular or have some sort of a, you know, park space or public space or something that like draws people to, to or walkability or whatever that draws people to living there. Inevitably, that's going to, that's going to be a, a more expensive piece of land though. So having that kind of financial component figured out is, is crucial. You, you mentioned the zoning bylaw renewal and that's one, that's one thing that's definitely changing. And I'll ask you a few questions about that in a bit here, but, um, I think we're seeing some changes in in like housing tenure a little bit as well as typology. Um, rentals seem to be more of a thing that are being talked about more consistently here. And I know we have, you know, two films that were recently shot in Edmonton and Edmonton's, you know, kind of low key becoming this little film industry, which is kind of cool. But uh, what kind of challenges does that put on our housing market if we don't have like short-term rentals or long-term rental spaces for, you know, film crews landing here or whatever. But what, what are you seeing in terms of like uh, housing tenure um, typology is kind of changing as well? Um, and tenure being like the, how long they stay, right? Yeah. Like, like not like just space? owning. Yeah. Not just like owning it's, it's ownership, ownership versus renting short-term versus long-term rentals. I know we've seen, we've started to see quite a few like micro suites uh, developed. So like 300 foot small little bachelor uh, suites that, you know, you live there because you want to be close to white Avenue or whatever, and you don't need a ton of amenities in your space. But I'm just, I'm curious about what your opinion is on, on what you've seen in the shifting of tenure. Yeah, I think um, I think rental is definitely uh, is more in demand. Um, I think it's it's now it's is it it's not just strictly going to oh it's going to be a condo that will go up and it'll be for sale. It will there there is that there is that rental um, conversation that would happen. Um, and I think um, that's the thing. Like I think uh, you know offering. I think rental is important and. Um, it, it actually, it does offer, it, it does, especially does offer for a lot of, you know, younger professionals um, options and as well as, um, you know, people who may have also just moved from like kind of more expensive cities, you know. So it's a really good transition. Um, it's definitely a really good transition um, uh, space that I think is really important to, uh, to build and to create for uh, for a lot of um, for a lot of this pent up demand that will come this way, so you know, and I think, and of course, you know, when you do move to a new city, you're always going to rent first before you buy. So that duration is going to be longer, um, and you know, if if it is going to be longer, I also think that I think there is also more effort into designing really interesting rental spaces too, with great amenities, with great, um, you know. With great amenities and great perks to um, to you as a tenant, and that also uh, like it allows for a comfort 
as well. So that that transition from wherever you were from to where you want to be is also a little more gradual. It doesn't feel like you actually have to, you, you're like, I'm only going to commit to this one bedroom just for this long because I can't live here for another, you know, two or three years. But you you can, you know, you can figure out if you really like living in the city for two to three years. And I think, and I think a lot of that attitude too is if is that transient nature right now with um with how uh with how our work can be right now. We can go to a different place to work and maybe and that's where a lot of rental stuff will also come like will also have a really huge role to play too. Yeah, I like that. I also like what you said about I think it goes back to your flexibility aspect as well. Like instead of just building pure condo buildings or pure rental buildings or whatever, having some sort of a mix or ability to kind of convert it in the future if need be, I think is is kind of key and that's where it's going. We, we I used to live downtown Edmonton and I lived in a, an apartment that was a converted office building and it sucked from a layout perspective, but I thought it was really cool that it was um, like a concrete and steel building that you don't get a lot of um, in, in kind of scale tower sort of. So I, I, I think there's definitely some avenues there, but I, I want to kind of finish off here and talk about the future of Edmonton architecture. You mentioned zoning bylaw renewals obviously coming. It sounds like you're a, a fan of what they've proposed so far. Yeah, some of it is great. Like I love, I think the like I said, that whole residential side is quite flexible. I think um, it, it allows a little bit more flexibility with how to develop. You know, it's not just your you know, your rigid RA7s, RA8s, RA9s. And uh, they actually sort of, act, they they actually blend, you know. So it's, it's uh, it'd be interesting to kind of work off that. It, it felt a little bit more flexible. Um, I definitely think this was a conversation, though, with uh, among my other peers, too, was uh, the architectural uh, prescriptions that were applied to some of the form and the massing, um you know, I, I think there was some diagrams where it was a little bit dictated. Like, I think some of that could is going to be really tricky to integrate into. Um, it's going to be really tricky to integrate into every single site, is because it's going to be very context driven. It's also going to be very program driven. So, depending on uh, depending on where it is you build and what the client wants to use it for at the end of the day having like weird bot like having three levels of massing or what was it three four stories i don't know it wasn't a really high number but it just didn't feel right like it felt very joggy it didn't feel like and it could it could it could be that could that might actually um that might actually hurt some of the aesthetic and also the overall experience of the neighborhood versus um uh, versus actually helping. Yeah, I, it was a, it was a good intent. Don't get me wrong. I think the intent is good because I think yes, there are developments that have been you know coming up with just like a like box and that's it. You know, and not really and just you know settling for just a very just for the minimum. And I know that and and I and I agree that that's not good. But um, but I also think maybe that's just a little bit too far. In advance, too far in the sense that you know having it too prescribed was also not detriment is also detrimental yeah no i agree with you it's like raising the minimum standard which i don't think anyone can argue but you think it's they've gone a little bit too far so what you are saying is that a box 
can be more beautiful than a box with, you know, recessed and step backs and jogs and everything that's prescribed. Let the architects do their job on a box or what? I say let the architects do their, their, do their job on a box. Yeah. If there is right, if there's right proportion of materials and if there's right, if there's right proportion of materials and if there's right, um, and if they've, created openings in, in a very specific place, it could be very elegant. It really could. There's so many that um, I've seen in Norway that are gorgeous and they are boxes, <laughs> but it's insane. Um, it's insane. It yeah. Is. They're all, they're all rectangular boxes with uh, just a bunch of squares and rectangles, but it looks beautiful. It's insane. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But uh, you know, having, it's just that that is a lot more, I think that one is easier to work with. You'll also get a better experience inside because the floor plates are a little bit simpler that you actually will create a better works, uh, uh, create a better interior space too, as well. Like it's, you'll get, you know, um, you'll actually get a very sizable living room, you know, a sizable kitchen. It's not some weird jogs just because the city did it. And, and I, this is, I think this is where it, it, it always, and I'm pretty sure it bugs some architects too, <laughs> where where you kind of predetermine the form before you talk about the narrative or the story of the project. <laughs> like it's it's so yeah, you can't do that. <laughs> it never it never ends up working. <laughs> yeah, you're preaching to the choir, I think, with with most of our listeners here as well. Um, Design competitions. You mentioned that there's a ton of them in Winnipeg. I agree. There's lots of them. There's a few here over the years, but um, did you participate? Do you think we should have more? Oh, I think we should have way more. I think it'd be so much fun. And I really think it would get the design community up, like up together and, you know, collaborate together and just, you know, like put, put some really interesting spatial installations there. Um, because in, in Winnipeg, I remember Nuit Blanche, uh, it was such a great art festival. And I loved how the architects were super involved, like every single firm did their own thing, like barcode had, you know, they, they did some really cool lighting ins installation on their cube. Um, we had a couple of master students that I remember that did uh, that covered a field of that covered one of those park patches all with like lit ping pong balls. Like it really activated the it really activated the space and the night. So I think, um, yeah, definitely yes to more competitions. Let's start one. You and I we'll we'll talk offline about this. But I'm I'm super keen. Did you participate in any of the ones that the city did, like the the infill design competition and then missing middle? Um, no, this I didn't participate in this one. Um, I did participate the warming huts one in Winnipeg when I was back in school, and that was really fun. Yeah, so on the river, on the river, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I really like that one because, uh, like I said, Winnipeg is really cold. But on that coldest day in January, where you're building the, you're building your structure, um, everyone's out there. Everyone's out there, and it's like it's it's also a really it's a winter city. It's a harsh city too, and but they're very good at embracing that. And I think that's something we can learn from little Winnipeg. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, yeah. I agree with that. They they definitely embrace it. I don't think they have much of a choice, but neither do we. So we should definitely we should definitely get into it too. Um, I know you're a regular listener of the podcast, so you know the last thing that we always do here is a call to action. So this is an opportunity for you to you know tell listeners what you think they need to do. Um, so I'm going to leave you with the floor. 
what do you want our listeners to do? Yes. Um, I think the call to action is uh, go and explore your neighborhood and get lost in your city. Um, I think, uh, I think uh, when I, when, everyone was working remotely. I definitely walked. I went, I had to take breaks from the computer. So I went outside and walked more. Um, but I loved actually just discovering, you know, things that were going on that I didn't know, you know, um, I ended up discovering new cafes. Uh, oh, there were new developments that were going up here and, you know, just kind of really paying attention to what's happening around where you live. Cause it's, it does really help you experience the city in a very different way. And, you know, I think if you, uh, and if you're really keen, I definitely think you should sign up for like tours and exhibit exhibitions, like local tours, local exhibitions. There's, uh, I actually really enjoyed the White Ave, like ghost walk tour, because it actually talked a lot about, you know, stories of the hotels. It's kind of weird, but I don't know. It's also very Edmonton, like I said. <laughs> so, I kind I think that stuff is exactly uh, I think that's exactly what more Edmontonians should do is actually go and explore their own city and figure and, and discover new things. Love it. That's perfect. See a building. Do you know the story? No. Well, like, can you go to the archives to figure it out? And, you know, I think, yeah, I think we need to appreciate that more. Nice. No, I think that's excellent. Olivia, I want to say thank you for being a guest today. This was uh, an excellent conversation. So thank you very much. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks for having me. Well, what an interesting conversation. Um, Olivia, I like I joked in the podcast, I don't actually know you. We, we went to school at the same place at the same time, but we never actually met. I met you in a coffee shop, Dosk, uh, what, a couple months ago, just before Christmas? That was the first time? Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I feel, that's for up. <laughs> feel like I've known you forever though. That was, that was a great conversation. Um, <laughs> so I want to thank you again for being on for listeners. This is kind of a different, I, we don't usually have the guests on for the outcat for the outros. Um, and I'm going to explain why she's here in just one second, but there's one thing I need to fact check uh, right in the episode. I said, Bruce Island in Chicago, because I misunderstood what Olivia said. And it's actually goose island like the animal not like the uh batman alter ego so goose island not Bruce island if you're looking that up um okay i want to ask you one question first is actually you know what let's talk first about why you're here and not only are you an expert in architecture and we were happy to have you on the show but um you're going to be the next podcast co-host with me right surprise that's right <laughs> <laughs> well you weren't surprised but surprise to our listeners yeah, that was a great reveal. So uh, maybe just talk about why you want to join the podcast and, and talk to me um, and, and some other guests, what you're looking forward to, um, that kind of thing. Oh, yes. Um, I'm definitely looking forward to this. I think this podcast always has really different uh, guests with different um, backgrounds and perspectives. And I'm really looking forward to talk talking to them and just you know picking their brain. Uh, I know I, I wasn't there for the um, EPCOR one, but that one was a fun one too. I would have totally asked tons of questions with him. <laughs> so um, I'm really, really excited to meeting um, the people just very outside of architecture, but, you know, that have an experience interested in listening to their point of views. Yeah, that's that's what I enjoy doing the most as well is like actually talking to, to people of different backgrounds and industries. And um, you and I were kind of joking before the show um, 
that I, we, we kind of like the, the, the getting to know the guests a little bit. Um, I love it because not everybody has a linear path. I certainly didn't. <laughs> you certainly didn't either. Um, but there's all these professionals that are working in our industry that have kind of a similar story. And I think those stories are really crucial. So very excited to have you as a podcast host. Um, what do you want to bring to the show? Energy, Spotify playlist? Yeah, Spotify playlist. <laughs> <laughs> We'll have to talk about the program editor on that one, but um, I would, yeah, I think I'm super keen on bringing uh, different guests to the show too. I think there are a couple people that um, I could also, that could also add value to this podcast. Um, I think I uh, told you, Ryan, that um, I also am a board member at the Edmonton Film Festival and I love talking with filmmakers about how they view spaces how they view like set design it's so different than um than what how an architect does it so i always feel like that could be a really interesting one to uh to feature oh yeah this is this is going to be great i'm I'm very much looking forward to this okay let me ask you a question we we stopped um our episode talking a little bit about design competitions but if you had to uh, let's say you're on the the design committee for the next design competition in Edmonton. What is the design competition? What do you think we need the most? So I actually think it'd be super interesting if there is a design competition um, focused around sustainable design, and um, and not just you know leading to specific uh, benchmarks that are done by um, uh, you know are done by professional organizations. But, you know, actually really looking into how material, where materials come from and sort of how they will evolve throughout the life cycle and like really diving into that. I think it'd be super interesting to um, to, yeah, to actually have a competition and actually have, um, you know, people in the design community really do some honest research and, you know, could even be really revealing to how, you um, um, how sustainability works in our climate and in our city. I think that's fascinating. Sustainability is kind of like one of those buzzwords that can mean a million different things. So um, I, I'm glad that you mentioned like not just meeting some certain benchmarks. So not like the one with the highest lead rating or something like what you're talking about is a little bit more holistic. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Yes. Yeah. So like knowing, yeah. And so really, really understanding where your uh, materials come from, I think is a really big one, you know? researching them and I think that could be part of like a huge part of the of like the point system or whatever point system we're going to use <laughs> right. do you have a do you have a site in mind a site that you like walk by or drive by every single day that you're just like oh my god we need something to rethink this space <laughs> um I don't but maybe by next the next episode I'll think of one That'll be your homework. Perfect. Yeah. I'm a big fan of design competitions. Yeah. Yeah. That, well, that's, that's part of it. I mean, I can't just drop you on this show and expect, you know, me to carry the load here. Okay. Um, yeah. I'm a big fan of the design competitions. I, uh, my brother and I, my brother's a landscape architect. So we, um, went in on both of the the Edmonton based ones, the infill and then the missing middle, and I loved going through them. We didn't come close to winning either of them, but like the the fun part is kind of the exploration, right? Like you have the site and you can think about it in different ways. Neither my brother and I are architects, so we we don't think about the built spaces very well. But I I'm fascinated by kind of the intersection of all these different industries and um, disciplines that kind of get together in a space. I've always wanted to see one about public space, like 
take take this park area and you know not just the city sends out a survey asking what we want to see there for programming i want a design competition for these public spaces like warehouse park downtown or you know some of the new park spaces that are being uh, acquired or developed in kind of core areas that's where i would want to go for sure so yeah that was a good one too yeah yeah so let's you and i put that together yeah, yeah. I'll definitely put a submission to that one. <laughs> Do uh, does Nora go into design competitions at all? Um, I don't think we have any recently. I think it's just been pretty busy on our end. Um, but I, yeah, no, I think we would be open to it for sure. Well, that's a good problem to have that you're too busy to go into design competitions. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But no, we, we'd definitely be open for sure, yeah. I think there's be some logistics to work out, but I'm pretty sure it'd be really fun to do if, if it, especially if it's something that comes up with that, like that missing middle competition. Oh yeah. Okay. Well, we'll stay tuned. Uh, Nor and Eins are going to collaborate on the next design competition for sure. Um, that's it. You, you made, you made it through your first podcast episode. How do you feel? It's always so interesting when I, I'm actually always on your end, Ryan, like I actually have done uh, quite a bit of like asking and prodding, but sometimes like, uh, you know, speaking about your thoughts, your thoughts are always in like, you're always spinning wheels and you're thinking, okay, how can I organize it properly? <laughs> but no, yeah, well, 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 I love the discussion. I love the topics that were brought up. So it's great. Nice. Yeah, no, it's it's really easy to be on my side asking the questions. It's like, like you said, the, the the wheels are always spinning, and you kind of like you understand your own thoughts, but to get them out there is it's a different animal. So, um, yeah, anyways, yeah, I, I want to thank you for coming on the episode today. Um, for listeners, stay tuned. Olivia and I are going to have our next episode with a great guest, and we'll have more great guests coming um, coming down the line. But yeah, for today, Olivia, thank you very much for being on the episode. Thanks, Ryan. Yeah. And then lastly, I just want to shout out a listener. This is going to be low hanging fruit, but uh, it's the first episode without Mariah and I got to shout her out. So Mariah, wherever you are, I hope you're doing well. And thank you for continuing to support and listen to the podcast. And Olivia, we'll catch you on the next one. Awesome. See you later.